0: Greetings and salutations, everyone. Steve here with you once again. It's November 2nd, 2017, and this is episode 15 of Baked and Awake. Welcome back. I hope everyone had an extra spooky, extra lengthy Halloween this year. I know we certainly did. What with the day itself falling on a Tuesday, it was basically Halloween from Friday onwards around our house. We decorated the yard, and Kenny was a ninja this year. Uh, Royce, nearing two years old and a perfect semi-long-haired natural redhead, he went as Chucky from Child's Play. Uh, So yeah, you could say it was pretty epic. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, I'd like to open this mini-sode by saying my most heartfelt thank you to everyone who listened to the show in the past 30 days. As some of you who are paying closer attention might know, we broke all expected or hoped-for download goals last month and we couldn't be happier about it. Please, help us continue to grow our audience by seeking us out on your favorite social media platforms and tossing us that like Pressing share or reposting our posts and, of course, by leaving your, hopefully, five-star review in the almighty marketplace that is the iTunes store. Looking ahead to November, I'm excited to let you all know that I was recently interviewed as a guest for Sam Sedlak's excellent podcast, Supernormal. The subject matter for that conversation was... Being raised, adopted, and mixed race, and how that has been for me in my life. It's part of a series of episodes Sam is putting out right now, dealing with race, identity, and life in America today from different perspectives. If this wasn't cool enough, we can also look forward to having Sam on herself as our very first guest of the Baked and Awake show. Sam and I will spend some time talking podcast creator challenges and the highs and lows that come along with making content of this kind. And we may also touch on some other subjects a little closer to our baked wheelhouse as well. Finally, I'm pleased to mention that I just recorded and shared my first ever promo spot for our show to be played during an upcoming episode of one of my new very favorite podcasts, The Eastern Border, hosted by Kristaps Andressens. The Eastern Border is a fantastically done show that covers the history of the USSR from the standpoint of a Latvian professor of Russian history. Kristaps knows his topic, and he tells stories in a relatable and entertaining way that will have you coming back for episode after episode. Please, everyone, go check out Supernormal and The Eastern Border. Like them both on Facebook, and make sure you let them know that Baked and Awake sent you. And now, on to the show, with Paulu up first, with a review of Solstice Farms' Sherman Number 7 strain. Take it away, buddy.
1: Hello, everybody. This is Palu. I'm doing a a little piece on uh, the solstice um, concentrate, Sherman number seven, that I just picked up at the, my local weed shop. Um, I'm gonna be putting it in my my atomizer. I have a uh, it's a ceramic atomizer by Divine Tribe, and uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about that after I take a vape hit. Um, So here we go, my first review ever. nice uh subtle i i set up my vape um, with uh some aid from their website on divine tribe um which is uh their their website is ineedhemp.com um so anyway the 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 sherman has a really nice sort of f- um, floral taste to it um, that vape was probably a lot lighter than a lot of the other settings, but I, I took their advice and set my set my unit set my battery to eleven watts, at their uh, you know recommendation, and then set it to three hundred three hundred degree um, Fahrenheit heat setting, um, and that's pretty nice. I think you know I I might I might ramp it up a little bit. Let's take another one. I'm gonna turn it up to three hundred thirty Fahrenheit. See how that is, and that's nice as well. It's a little stronger. Um, the obviously you can't see anything here, but uh, the what I was exhaling was barely, you know, barely perceptible as smoke. It was really more of a vapor, um, and so let's talk a little bit more about this concentrate. This is um, Sherman Number Seven. It's a hybrid. Um, they suggested this suggested this to me when I went to the the store. Um, I was looking for actually a a indica, but I also wanted a a high level of CBD because I wanted to try that out because um, George and Steve were talking about that. And um, this is so this is a f- uh, 70.4 total cannabinoids, um, and then THC percentage is 26 percent, and then CBD percentage is 44.4. Um, don't know if there's oh and then I have uh, some more details of that strain up on um, leafly.com. So Sherman number seven. This is from their website leafly.com. Um, Sherman number seven by Solstice won CBD flower at CBD uh, yeah best CBD flower at the 2017 Dope Cup in Seattle, Washington. Hey, home sweet home. Uh, this phenomenal strain was a happy accident brought. to brought forth from the phenotypes created from Solstice's high-THC strains, blueberry cheesecake and the white. Possessing a surprisingly robust terpene profile profile for a CBD-dominant strain, Sherman No. 7 expresses sweet and savory notes that coat the palate. Sherman No. 7 has a 2-to-1 CBD-to-THC ratio and was named after the co-founder's dog, Friend and companion Sherman that's Sherman S-U-H-U-S-H-U-R-M-A-N and then I'm gonna I'm gonna ramp up the heat a little bit and do one more here I might be out of concentrate in this particular one let me try it set this a little higher, 360 Wow, it's really amazing it's um, so I've raised the heat to 300, 360 um, I've already taken three hits off of this uh, kind of maybe a BB sized piece of uh, concentrate but probably less than that really and um, each hit is tasted really delicious um, pretty pretty impressed at the taste of this I mean I mean really what I, I smoke pot for and just pot for um you know for for the feeling it gives me but let's be honest, I mean it's it's really nice to have a, a strain that tastes good, smells good, all that stuff. So um a little bit more about the Divine Tribe. I'll tell you what how you can get this if you're interested. I'm I'm smoking from the Divine Tribe version two point seven ceramic donut atomizer. Uh, I got this back in February. It uh, it's only like uh, eighteen bucks, nineteen bucks for, and it go, it screws into a five ten uh, battery. And um, yeah, I like it. These guys have a lot of different products. They have uh, complete vaporizer kits, um, including they have an email which I don't entirely understand but i think it's i think it's trying to get away from the uh you you using um a torch and trying to tweak and get to the right temperatures to uh get vapor um but i'm i'm still learning all this stuff uh what else can i say i think that's about it um thanks for listening whoever's out there and uh hopefully we'll do more of these these tests actually I got another solstice product um it's a sativa so I think I might try that on uh, one of my days off during the day see you know try to be functional on that right now I'm feeling you know kind of just pretty mellow not like from those three hits not not anything very strong um but this is supposed to be a pain relieving um you know strain and I actually do have a, like a wrist injury that I'm trying to recover from, so um, I'm thinking this will be helpful. All right, that's it for me. You guys have a great time, and uh, I'm gonna smoke some more. Ciao.
0: And we're back. I hope everyone enjoyed Paulu's review of Solstice Farms, Sherman Number Seven. CBD concentrate. Sounds like it was an excellent and balanced concentrate with a high CBD percentage that still delivered the enjoyment of the THC, along with the benefits of its interplay with the other cannabinoids and terpenes as well. So thank you, Palu, for taking that on for us this week. We look forward to the next one. uh now on to a short discussion of everyone's favorite netflix franchise stranger things uh no we won't be giving out a bunch of spoilers here so you know even though most of america has already binged the eight or so hours of season two in one sitting excuse me, by now, Uh, you know, just in case you haven't watched it yet, we certainly don't want to be the ones responsible for having ruined it for you. So uh, instead of delving into plot points, details, or revealing omissions, we're going to be addressing themes and some conspiratorial topics that seem to be commonly encountered in science fiction and fantasy TV and movie features. Uh, In the main, I'm talking about a concept known to the tinfoil hat society as predictive programming, quote-unquote. And this is my definition. This is where the powers that be uh, encode hidden and sometimes not-so-hidden messages into popular entertainment, movies, television, radio, and print media. Perhaps most importantly these days, video games. Um, Anyway, some hidden messages embedded in in popular entertainment of all sorts. Those messages are about some planned societal change. This is in a bid to inoculate the public, so to speak, against their future shock or dismay in response to the actual event when it comes to pass. Predictive programming, it's said, lessens the public's resistance to what are perceived to be you know, largely negative, um, seemingly compulsory you know, social developments, and distort the understanding of the genesis of that change, uh, placing it you know, in the realm of this is just how things work, or we chose this. Disclosure, on the other hand, another concept we'll encounter again and again in movies, film, books, you know, graphic novels, everything uh, like that. Uh, It's understood, you know, by the critical thinkers out there to be a tacit admission of some crime already committed against, you know, the public. You know, we're talking about large-scale forms of communication here, movies, movies books, print media, online blogs, etc, the larger news aggregators and distributors of, you know, just pretty much the folks who tell us what's going on in the world and in many ways shape how we should feel about it. Um, so disclosure is that tacit admission that's that that we've already done this and, you know, now we're going to joke about it in you know, every place in front of you. Rubbing it in your face. Classic moment. You know, the victim loathes it, the bully lives for it. Uh, now, before you say to me, you know, I've never heard of this madness before, Steve. You must be off your rocker. You know, this is just creative people being creative. And, you know, your pattern-seeking animal. Blah, blah, blah. I say to you, uh, when was the last time a major celebrity passed away? A terrible disaster occurred um, when somebody didn't produce right in your Facebook feed. You didn't even have to go looking for this. As if by magic, an episode of, say, The Simpsons, that appears to closely match the circumstances of the incident in question. I don't even need to go into details here. All I do by bringing the Simpsons example up is to remind us all that we regularly play around with and even make light of a phenomenon that can at best be described as eerily coincidental and at worst may be characterized as utterly diabolical. On the question of who is encoding these messages, some say the Illuminati, Others the Freemasons. Still others will tell you the biggest player in this game is the USINT community or the US intelligence state for those of us less acronomically inclined. The United States Central Intelligence Agency in particular has been not only accused of, but seemingly caught red-handed, manipulating journalists in particular, uh, actors, however, and and news outlets to varying degrees in virtually every way you can imagine. Uh, If you don't believe me, look up Operation Mockingbird. It's one single example of many that exist out there. Operation Mockingbird. Go ahead. We'll wait. all right having familiarized yourself with perhaps that single example for those of you who haven't already heard of it uh we can set those other possible manipulators aside (laughs) call them the usual suspects you can add to them groups like the un the vatican foreign intelligence organizations that are analogs to our own all around the world. Any and all of whom have what could be certainly argued are propagandistic messages that they continually seek to proliferate around the world. When we look at the size of just Hollywood's entertainment industry, which, by the way, more or less includes the large part of the gaming industry since they sponsor the development of tons of games. Uh, and the game and movie crossover game is strong these days. Hollywood, we're looking at close to $100 billion with a B dollars per year of revenue in play in Hollywood as of 2013. This takes no account of the money spent on production of foreign films or television shows. One can easily begin to understand that whatever message you wish to spread to the world, if you have access to the Hollywood film industry, you're going to get that message out there. Alright, I may be starting to sound like I think I know a little something about what I'm talking about here, and that is a dangerous thing. While I do watch TV and movies these days, with a highly critical eye, in my opinion, uh, it takes a person with some serious background in symbolism, religious themes and America's dark history, to really hook in on the weirdest and scariest of this stuff. Uh, believe me when I say that most of us are missing most of it, whatever it is, that is, that's being communicated to be, you know, on screen, that's that's coming in to us. Uh, in this case, I'm talking about on screen. These hidden messages are supposed to be just that, hidden. This is by design. At least to your conscious mind, anyway. Okay, so at any rate, in support of my admittedly outlandish-sounding claims here, I want to bring in the assistance of much more of a heavyweight, of movie and television analysis than myself and I I mean by proxy here uh, because I'm going to read some excerpts from an article by the very excellent Jay Dyer of the Esoteric Hollywood YouTube channel. I believe he puts out a podcast of the same name with the same content you know uh, as he creates this content at this point in time but you look up Jay Dyer, Esoteric Hollywood, you're going to find him. Jay's website and, and YouTube channel are probably one of the best, if not the best, site uh, or channel, forgive me, on this topic. That being encrypted messages and popular media uh, that exists, as far as I can tell, in the world. I found him a couple years ago, when I was really getting cranked up with my interest in you know, alternative histories and conspiracies in general. When I started looking into Stranger Things symbolism, Jay Dyer's article that we're going to look into here just a little bit uh, was one of the first links I found. And I didn't know it was him until I read the entire article and was just so pumped to find this great additional new source of (laughs) information and analysis about the movies. Uh, Only to get to the bottom of the article and find that it was, you know, our old friend, Jay. Uh, So, but he's amazing. And um, we're going to check out this story. Just, yeah, we'll just read some parts of it. We're not going to... You know, plagiarize his entire article here. And the good news is for season twoers that this is uh, his article was written at the time of Stranger Things season one. And which is fine because, again, we're talking about themes here, and the themes that we're talking about are present in both seasons of this very popular show. Uh, I'm going to set myself up with teensiest of dabs before we jump into the article. So, as I sometimes do, I'm going to press a brief pause here for us. I suggest you roll something up, pack a fresh bowl, grab a friend, snuggle up on the couch, get ready to share that and listen to the rest of this story in just a minute. Coming right back. All right. Back and feeling super safe. I hope you guys are too. Diving right in to Jay Dyer's story, The Hidden Programming Within Stranger Things, published to EvolveAndAscend.com in November of 2016. So a reminder, no spoilers for Stranger Things 2 are going to happen. The popular '80s pastiche series *Stranger Things* begins with a familiar scene of ET nostalgia, centering around Dungeons and Dragons. This scene is particularly familiar to me since I played d and back in the day, but learned very quickly this nefarious practice was like kryptonite to all things female. Oddly enough. The series appears to reflect a new trend amongst Hollywood A-listers, where nerd culture has revived the ancient 80s practice of playing D&D. The Hollywood Reporter explains the trend and its connection to acting and role-playing. I I find that super interesting. I missed the D&D boat personally. Um. Played a bit of Magic the Gathering for a number of years there. Super fun game as well. Quite a bit different than D&D and probably considered inferior, I'm sure, by most Dungeons & Dragons players. Uh. Obviously due to the amount of personal character development well as campaign creation on the part of the dungeon master that go into D&D as an experience from what I understand. I find D&D fascinating, though, because it's always been a trope in uh, films and television shows, horror in particular, of course, but uh, perhaps most notably in the beginning scene of this show, which mirrors almost identically the opening scenes of E.T., the classic 80s alien coming-of-age film starring Drew Barrymore and uh, Henry Thomas as Elliot, uh, the young boy who had a special relationship with E.T., who he helped to get home to his family eventually. Anyway, huge sidebar. Ridiculous. Back to the story here. Jay goes on to quote the Hollywood Reporter article that says, quote, Vin Diesel plays it. So did Dwayne Johnson. Drew Barrymore. <laughs> <laughs> Drew Barrymore. <laughs> Stephen Colbert. Mike Myers. And John Favreau. Among other bold-faced names. Some even built their careers by playing it. I'm not sure who that might be exactly, but I'm sure it's well known in the, you know, geek culture community. Uh, these guys are probably at the cons and stuff. Uh, so, you know, they go on to tell you a little bit more about the game and how it works. You, you know, roll multi-sided dice and pretend to be mystical creatures, you know, elves dwarves fairies wizards warlocks rangers warriors etc um you know and as i mentioned you have a dungeon master who creates your campaign and we see all of this in the show okay they 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 do quite a bit of referring back to the game for the naming nomenclature even of the creatures that the children encounter in the upside down realm or the veil of shadows as they often refer to it um, again i believe pulling these labels from their dungeons and dragons monster manuals and creature compendiums etc there were tons of these amazing books that they had for these uh, games uh, and and still do of course <clears throat> so you know they relate it to acting and improv they relate it to magic of course uh how so? Quote, the earliest gods were invoked by ritual act. Dramanon equals the thing done. Ritual acts such as sacrificial dance, commemorating the fact that our life begins and ends when they call upon us. Subsequently the thing was said legomenon as well as done and the dramenon was on its way to becoming the drama I found that so cool and I love like history of word origins word etymology like that is so awesome <clears throat> Once speech within the temple precincts has been endowed with the power of word magic, we have the invocation, properly so called. In parentheses, their source, Dudley Young, Origins of the Sacred, The Ecstasies of Love and War. So... It continues a little bit more context on the show's setting and, and set in the fictional small town of Hawkins, Indiana in 1983. We will see the accidental dramaturgical invocation where the D&D simulacrum appears to actually be related on a deeper level to the occult phenomena that begin to occur. We see this over and over again in the show. The disappearance of young Will Byers sparks a series of events that takes Hawkins down a black rabbit hole of every conspiracy theory ever, melded with the opening of interdimensional gates from every John Carpenter film. Originally slated to be titled, quote, Montauk, the series echoes the dubious accounts of The Montauk Project, or Project Montauk, where purportedly time and space were altered in government-sponsored psyops, and time-travel experiments, with famed UFO researcher Jacques Vallée commenting, the experiments were related to the Philadelphia Experiment. For more information and speculation on this topic, we'll... Jay interviewed Dr. Farrell on his views here. Now, this is a great article, and I don't want to read the whole thing word for word. I want to find a couple of these other great highlights that really stuck out to me. Alright, so... Basically, we've got Steven Spielberg film influences, John Carpenter horror film influences, large mythical themes that have been in place in religion and in our literature for centuries, all on display. Both in the framework of the acting out of the, of the Dungeons and Dragons party's adventures at the beginning of the game, uh, of the show in the basement, the game obviously never really ending. The game bleeding out into the real world, the overt right side up world. The children now live in the game 24/7. A game of their own creation, seemingly. Uh, Complete with their own tragic superhero messiah figure in the form of Eleven, or L. Some of you may know that among the many other interesting plays and puzzles and Onion layers that can be uh, applied to the L11 uh, naming convention uh, for that character. Uh, L is a name for, I believe, God in Hebrew. Uh, Elohim. Okay, Uh, L in its root goes derives back to that um coincidence I don't know uh, they bring it up. They, they they've they've got it here in the story. So you know this show has overt themes of the MK Ultra uh, program being the program that appears to be a version of what 11 is caught up in you know, to take it out of the Dungeons and Dragons and talk about the next, you know, the next big component of of this show. Uh, That being medical experimentation on children, you know, possibly presented under weird guises. Elle is one of many children that seem to be, uh, have been treated at the facility that she came from and escaped from. Uh, We see the guise of treatment being applied to these children, but really it appears to be torturous circumstances that she is put under. Sensory deprivation, lack of affection, solitary confinement, you know, Spartan uh, miserable living quarters, everything you can imagine and physical torture. You know, it's, it's a hard show to watch at times. Especially for parents. You know, it's not really a show for you know, too young of a kid to watch. Uh, Kenny started watching it with us, and I'm glad he didn't finish watching it with us, because it gets progressively scarier as the season's goes on. Um, but, uh, so, you know, obviously we're going to put the links to this article in here, in the, in the show notes. And I'm going to try to find, I bet you by now Jay's done a uh, show on this. Uh, as well on his YouTube channel, so I'll try to find the link for that as well. Um, I mean, yeah, he goes into just all the symbolism of the characters and, you know, who they kind of, you know, are or aren't in, in the archetypical, you know, relational analysis. Uh, for example, here. Uh, to take another small excerpt for you. Two notions that occurred to me I have not seen attacked yet in the series attacked yet in the series is the strange reference to the loss of, quote, father and, quote, God. And we see no strong male figures. Hop, Hopper, our cop, like a horny rabbit, hops from girl to girl, having lost his daughter. While Will's father is a deadbeat. And he was. He's a crappy guy. In Mike and Nancy's household, the ineffectual, sterile father character of Mr. Wheeler remains ever clueless while arguing to Mrs. Wheeler that quote, the government is on our side and would never lie. Set in the Cold War, The fear and panic of the ridiculous Russian threat in the background of the series allows the Shadow State to develop the explicitly named Star Wars defense program, where quote lasers and space weapons are being made to destroy the Ruskis. Amazingly accurate in this insight, this is a point Jay's analysis has been highlighting the last few years with the hype of the Cold War deception allowing for the rise of the dark military-industrial complex, which seems to have a penchant for human sacrifice. Note that I have argued many times that MKUltra was not merely a mind-control experiment, but was about the entire biosphere under the Department of Energy. Again, that was Jay's article, not my words. Although, I have encountered some of uh, Jay's material on this subject in my listening over time, and I can tell you he is extremely eloquent on this topic. He's uh, clear and cohesive in his theories, and so very compelling to listen to. Uh, Highly recommended that you check him out. So... You know, we know from the show, you know, Hopper was the one who figured out that the facility was MK. He, he started looking into it in his investigation into the missing children. Uh, so, you know, that was, you know, we, we know that this show is talking about MK. MK has implications, meaning they had adults and younger subjects that they got from all sorts of different vectors, and some of those might have been suspected to be even, you know, trafficking or at, at least uh, parents, uh, you know, willingly subjecting, in some cases, uh, minors to experimentation or programs that were uh, presented as uh, treatments that may not have been forthright um, uh, or if, if they did know what they were subjecting the kids to, uh, then, I don't know, the folks would be just as culpable as the government in that case. But again, there I go. And I'll rein myself in. And wrap on this article, wrap on this topic for tonight, and have really enjoyed just introducing the topic of predictive programming in film, in particular, and when I say film, I mean all the video we consume on our mobile and on our laptops and in our homes these days. Uh, a lot of this Netflix original content, YouTube original, YouTube Red, uh, Amazon, you know, has series now, uh, Hulu has original series, you know, uh you know, the the uh, amongst the cable networks, the sci-fi's, and everybody have been iterating their own content for you know, in some cases, going on twenty years now. Um, so a lot of this stuff has strong uptake. Stranger Things has incredibly strong uptake. People are out there, you know, uh, asking each other for their Netflix passwords so that they can you know, see Netflix for just long enough to watch that series, you know, or going over and hanging out every night with their friends for two or three nights until they can get all their shows in. Um, you know, they're, they're calling up and ordering the trial and canceling after 30 days. Uh, and I'm saying that that's a powerful platform. And I'm saying that we've seen it over and over again in film and 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 we're gonna come back here and talk about some other really popular and really, in some cases, super fun movies. You know, and I'm not gonna do all the same stuff everybody's done forever. You know, I'm not gonna go in on the Matrix. You know, there's way better people than me that have gone in on the Matrix and and done an amazing job on it uh, in terms of you know really looking at all the wild symbolism that was going on in the Wachowskis' head when they made that film. That franchise it was amazing. Um, so, but we'll, we'll be looking at this stuff and we'll be looking at, you know, future television programs that, that come our way and, and shows that we're watching right now. Uh, movies that are out right now. And I won't even pretend to be, you know, on the cutting edge of all of this, uh, you know, feed them to me though. You know, I want to say in closing tonight, uh, this hasn't been much of a mini episode. I think we're clocking in at like 45 minutes right now, but Thank you so much to everybody who has reached out uh, this month and said hello as well. I thank you guys for listening at the beginning of the show, and I'll thank you, uh, those of you who have messaged me and emailed me and given us submissions for content and suggestions for content. Everybody has been uniformly thoughtful and had great, great suggestions, so pretty much everything that I've come across that everybody's fed me so far will be addressed in uh, due time, and much of it very shortly here in some form or another so thank you thank you so much and keep saying hi uh instagram is perfect email is great you guys can get me at the website at www.bakedinawake.com you can email me at talk to us at bakedinawake.com um you know i'll share with the whole crew anything we've got and you know uh we're going to continue to Kick out some great content uh, this coming month. I've got, I think, more than enough planned for the next uh, four weeks for us to have something come out every week with no real problem there. Um, And uh, some stuff that I'm not even going to mention tonight, but that I'm super excited about uh, episode content and and idea wise. uh, And that's like right on the horizon. So, uh, all right. You guys are awesome. Stranger Things and Stranger Things 2 is awesome. It's a lot of fun to watch it. I don't know if it's Disclosure, if it's Disinfo, if it's a PSYOP, or if it's just a whole bunch of fun. I know it's the latter. For sure. And I think if you watch it smart, you can have a great time and nobody's, nobody's going to get hurt or even probably have a bad dream. So, yeah, I think we're going to wrap with that. I think I'm going to edit this tomorrow and kick it out in the morning. We'll see. I don't know. It'll take a little break after we're done. See how we feel. You guys, we'll see you in just a few days. And if I don't see you, I hope you look around, and when you need to, you tell yourself, Smoke Indica, do shit anyway.